If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open up to the book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be looking at chapters 18 and 19 this morning. If you're not familiar with where that's at in your Bible, 1 Samuel is the ninth book of your Bible. You can go right past the first five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which are known as the book of Moses or the book of the law, the Pentateuch there. Uh, And then you're going to hit some historical books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, and then you're going to find 1 and 2 Samuel. If you're into Jonah and Joel and some guys like that, hang a left. If you're into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, hang a big left. Uh, So it's really towards the front of your Bible there. And we've been navigating through a man's life by the name of David. We're just a few short weeks in, and we're going to be talking about him again today in a little bit more detail. 1 Samuel chapter 18 and 19 is where we're going to be. And what I want to share with you and talk with you about this morning is something that I believe each and every one of us struggles with to some degree or another. For some of us in here, it's a consistent struggle. For others of us, we seem to go through seasons. And for a few of us, it's it's a little bit more off and on. But we all are going to struggle with this thing. And for some of us, it's in regards to our weight. It's in regards to our appearance. It's in our image. For some of us, it might even be our hair. For others of us, like me, or lack of hair. It might be that. So it might be your education. It could be your job. Uh, It could be centered around your financial status. For some of us, it's simply a feeling of failure, rejection, perfectionism, maybe even negative beliefs in your life. And for even some of us here, it's the future, the circumstances that are creating an uncertain and shakable foundation for you. And the truth is, what I want to talk to you about today is insecurity. And it's something that we don't tend to like to talk a whole lot about, and we want to puff ourselves up to make us into something that uh, we, we want to portray to the world. But the truth of the matter is, for each and every one of us, there's a level of insecurity that you will feel. As a matter of fact, as I was going through this this week and just thinking about it, the reality is, there's moments that I feel insecure uh, as many of you know, I'm a pastor here at our church, and, and, and I don't know if you're anything like me, but the truth of the matter is, I like people to like me. Is there anybody else here like that, that you like people to like you and say nice things about you? Well, don't be a pastor. No, I'm just kidding about that. The, but here's the reality. There are moments where I feel this pressure of, of wanting to uh, not please people, but wanting to be liked by people. It's a natural human condition. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are moments in my life where uh, just struggling with, with different details of perfectionism in my life. I grew up in a family and in a household, and not that my parents did anything wrong, but my dad was, uh, didn't, didn't come out of the best family lifestyle, didn't have a high education. So his thing to me was always, Brian, do well in school, do your best. You know, your name's on everything that you do. And that taught me a, a great deal. But what it created, too, because of my temperament and my personality, is this element of perfectionism. This idea that it's, it's got to be perfect in everything that you do. And I have this kind of measuring stick and everything that's got my name on it that if, if I can just reach this, and, and my statement in my brain a lot is it can always be a little bit better. And some of you seem to struggle with that as well. And the problem is that that can create a tremendous amount of insecurity, a feeling of failing. Anybody else struggle with insecurity in here at times? Okay, four of us, fantastic. So this is going to be a very long message for the rest of you. But uh, today I want to talk to you about two guys. One is an individual and an example to us about what insecurity can do in your life. And the other is an individual and a man who became somebody who could walk securely even in the midst of insecure times. And my hope and my heartbeat is that we will be moving towards the latter 
The first is a man by the name of King Saul. The second is a man who's going to replace him and is ultimately going to be King David. And we find the story in 1 Samuel chapters 18 and 19 today. Let me give you a quick background in case you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks. David is a shepherd. He's a, he's a young boy. There's a man by the name of Saul who has become king over all of Israel. The people wanted a king so desperately, and God said, I want, I want it to always be your king. But they demanded, we want a king, a human king. And so they elected Saul. He was built that way. He was a head taller than everybody else. He was kind of the kingly role, but he disobeyed God. Consequences for that were not only are you not going to be king any longer, your, your kingship is not going to go past you. We're going to find another. And God selected David, who was a man after his own heart. Samuel, the prophet of the day, the spiritual leader, anointed David that you're going to be the next king. And then, if you remember the story, probably the one that we're most familiar with, the Israelites are in battle with the Philistines. There's a nine and a half, over nine and a half foot giant by the name of Goliath who keeps coming out, taunting the Israelite army. David comes on the scene, merely a shepherd, not even a warrior, and says, what's this guy doing? He thinks he can defy the armies of the living God. He tells the king, I'll go out and fight that guy. What are you going to fight him with? You're a shepherd. He says, give me my staff, a sling, and I'm going to grab five smooth stones. And he goes out there, and he drives a stone right into the head of Goliath, goes over, chops his head off with his own sword, and there's a great victory in all of Israel. The Israelite army runs after the Philistines, and they have a huge, successful battle. Jonathan, as we talked about last week, was King Saul's son. And after he watched David go out and fight that Philistine, he's like, that's somebody that inspires me. I want to get to know that kid. And Jonathan and David formed this incredible bond, this relationship between two men, two brothers, that becomes an anchor in David's life. And then we find ourselves on the scene of what happens next in 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to start at verse 5, and I'm just going to be up front with you. We're going to go through two chapters today, so I'm going to try and get you out of here before the Super Bowl starts, so we'll see if that works out for us today. Verse 5 is where we start this morning. Whatever Saul sent him to do, David did so successfully. So successfully that God, or excuse me, Saul gave him high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with the tambourines and lutes. And as they danced, they sang... Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Would you pray with me, God, as we just embark on your word and your truth, I just ask that you would speak. We invite you here to help us utilize this time to the full. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Saul comes in, and you've got to picture the scene. They've just come back from the big fight with the Philistines. David has conquered the giant. And as they're walking in, there's like this processional. And all these women are there. And they're dancing around, and they're playing all these instruments. And, and they're singing some songs. And, and, and as they danced and they sang, this is what they said. Saul has slain his thousands. And can you imagine if you're Saul for just a brief moment as you're walking through and all these people, you know, I, I just kind of wonder... You know, and they're just singing and dancing and doing their thing. I won't dance for you. You won't like that. But, uh, and they're just singing. All of a sudden, Saul hears it. Oh, Saul has killed his thousands. Oh, this is just so good. And this next line changes everything. And David, his tens of thousands. Uh-oh. I'm the king. I'm the one who's supposed to be praised. And I've been attributed thousands. And now this young man, this young, in some senses, boy, is being attributed 10 times better than what I do. 
And the story continues. Saul was very angry. This refrain galled him, and they had given credit, David, of tens of thousands, but with me only thousands, and what more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on him. So I just want to give you from Saul's life a couple of things that if we're not careful with insecurity, what it can produce. The first one is this. It's jealousy. Would you just say that with me? Jealousy. It produces this in Saul's life. As they're singing and they're dancing and they're somewhat praising Saul, all of a sudden they praise David more. And it says that Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands, and from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And I don't know if you've ever been in seasons of jealousy. You, you wish you had what somebody else had. If your marriage was just like somebody else's, if your kids were more like them, if you had the job that they had, if you had the resources that they, if you were gifted like somebody else was. And jealousy can creep in and it can rot you to the core. Matter of fact, it's interesting to note that one of the Ten Commandments, the final one, do not covet, right? I think there's a strategy and a reason that God would put that as one of the Ten Commandments. And Andy Stanley said it so well. He said, there is no win in comparison. And the truth of the matter is, there is no win when we start to compare ourselves to somebody else. Maybe you young people in, in, in high school, well, if I just looked a little bit more like so-and-so, if I just had the gifts like so if I just could play sports like this individual, and it will destroy your life. And the truth of the matter is, I think I've worked through some, at times, jealousy in my life, but I was a, a pastor at a pretty early age of 25 years old as a senior pastor, and I remember early on when we would invite guest speakers to come to our church to speak, and somebody would stand up, and they would give a good message, and we'd get done, and then that individual, some individuals from the church would come over and be like, man, that guy was really good. That was a good pick. They did a great job, and you want to know what I heard? Man, that guy was a whole lot better than you. Why don't you step up your game? Anybody ever been there? Oh, yeah, thank you. Now, now the honesty comes out. But these moments of insecurity that if we're not careful, they can produce a lot of jealousy in our lives. It can lead us down a very unhealthy path. Now, let me preface this by saying you don't need to come out afterwards and apologize for something that you said to me. I had two people do that first service. That's not what I'm saying. I feel like I'm pretty secure and not overly jealous, at least not right at this minute. But the reality is, there's no win when we start comparing ourselves to others. What if Saul would have just said, you know what, good job, David. You exercised faith when I wasn't able to do it. That's a good kudos to you. But he doesn't, and look what happens next. The second result is anger. It's anger. Would you say that with me? Anger, if we allow insecurity to breed, it says Saul was very angry. He gets so frustrated by what's taking place. He gets mad, almost like a jealous boyfriend in high school who's, whose girlfriend is talking to somebody else. What are you doing? How can you be doing this? And he is just infuriated about David and the, the kudos that he is getting. And if we're not careful, that insecurity will create that in us, a jealousy that leads us to, well, how come I can't have that? And I should be able to get those things. The third thing is this, paranoia. Insecurity can create paranoia. This is what happens next. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? So now all of a sudden, Saul is in this position of, I don't want to lose my authority. I don't want to lose what I've got. And he starts playing scenes in his head of, David's going to steal this from me. He's going to take that from me. He's going to create a problem. And if we're not careful, insecurity will do that in your life. 
You get insecure about your future and all of a sudden you're playing scenes forward of this is what's going to happen and these are the things that are going to take place and, and then you start getting frantic and, and doing some weird things. Maybe it's in a relationship that, oh, I'm assuming that they're doing things or, or, and you've created scenarios and situations and even arguments in your brain that are not even real. That's what insecurity does. And I want to be honest with you. I believe that this is a work of the enemy in our lives as Christians. He loves to get in there and plant seeds and get you down a rabbit trail where all of a sudden you've thought this thing through and it's like, this isn't even living in reality anymore. Saul's going He's going crazy with paranoia. The fourth thing is fear. Would you say that with me? Fear. In the verses ahead in 15 and 29, we see this. When Saul, Saul saw how successful David was, he was afraid of him. And Saul became still more afraid of him. And he remained his enemy for the rest of his days. Saul is driven now by fear. And how many of you know fear can make you do some weird stuff? It can. And that's what leads us to the last point. Number five is craziness. Saul gets crazy because of insecurity, which is showing itself in jealousy and in anger and paranoia and in fear. And that's what the whole rest of chapter 18 is about that I just want to read through. So I'm going to read through some of this fast today. You thought I talked fast already. We've got a lot to cover. So this is what it says in verse 10. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully upon Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the harp as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall, but David eluded him twice. Saul is in this moment where an evil spirit is upon him from the Lord. Exactly what that means, I'll be, I'll be candid with you. I don't know 100% if God just allowed an evil spirit to torment him. I believe that that is really what the case is, that maybe it was a, a spirit kind of a, a depression. Of uh, We see that Saul needs somebody to come and play music to soothe him, and he calls upon David to do that. How that all worked out and the big picture of it, I'm not 100% certain, but we do know this, that Saul is being tormented. David is in probably a, a room next door or maybe a, by a veil, and he's playing the harp to bring soothing music to Saul, and he picks up a spear. He's so frustrated in anger and paranoia and jealousy that he goes to throw a spear and kill David right there on the spot. How many times does he do it? Twice. David eludes him two times. You think that Saul's getting a little crazy? That's nothing. Wait until you see what happens next. Saul was afraid, in verse 12. The Lord was with David, but had left Saul. So Saul sent David away from him and gave him command over 10,000 men. Excuse me, over 1,000 men. And David led the troops in their campaigns. In everything he did, he had great success because the Lord was with him. If you underline things in your Bible, highlight things in your Bible, I would encourage you, underline that last verse. When Saul saw how successful he was, he was afraid of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David because he led them in their campaigns. Saul said to David, here is my older brother, or excuse me, daughter Merib. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles of the Lord. For Saul said to himself, I will not raise a hand against him. Let the Philistines do that. Do you see what's happening with Saul? He's trying to manipulate David. He's like, go out and lead the troops. Go out and lead my battles. Fight bravely for me. I'll even give you my daughter in marriage. And what he's really doing is he's a master manipulator, hoping that David will go out there and the Philistines themselves will kill him, and he won't have to do it. But David said to Saul in verse 18, who am I 
And what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? So when the time came for Merib's, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, she was given to marriage to another. In verse 20, now Saul's daughter Michael was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him and so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So Saul said to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. He doesn't want him to be his son-in-law. He just wants him to die. And he's trying to manipulate this in any way he can. Then Saul ordered his attendants, speak to David privately and say, look, the king is pleased with you and his attendants all like you. Now become his son-in-law. They repeated these words to David, but David said, do you think it's a small matter for me to come the, become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and I'm little known. When Saul's servant told him what David had said, Saul replied, Say to David, the king wants no other price for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. And Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. David, you can become my son-in-law. I just want you to go out and kill a hundred Philistines and bring their foreskins back to me. Young people, if you don't know what foreskins is, talk to your parents later. I'm not going to describe that right now. Saul wants him to die at the hands of the Philistines. In verse 26, when the attendants told David these things, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So before he, the allotted time elapsed, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He killed twice as many of them. He brought their foreskins and presented the full number to the king so that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him his daughter Michael in marriage. And when Saul realized that the Lord was with David and his daughter Michael loved David, she be, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. And the Philistine commanders continued to go out to battle, as they often did. David met with more success than the rest of Saul's officers, and his name became well known. Saul's whole purpose and plan has fallen apart. He keeps sending David out to try and get him killed. What's happening? David continues to have more success. He tries to concoct this plan of, well, if you marry my daughter, you're going to have to go and do this, and hopefully you'll die, and it doesn't happen. David comes back and does twice what he's asked to do, marries his daughter, Michael, and you think this is driving Saul crazy at this point in time? Absolutely. And it's the example of a man's life that when insecurity starts to reign, it ultimately ends in craziness. i got to be honest with you. I've seen some people, even some here at our church, that insecurity has led to jealousy or to fear or to anger or to paranoia. I've seen some crazy behaviors. I won't get into what those are, but it just leads to a place of unhealth. And I just ask this in love. Is your life characterized by any of these? Is it jealousy being demonstrated, anger or fear or paranoia, or maybe it's just leading to a craziness that you're saying, man, I, maybe I'm just living an insecure lifestyle. Because my hope and my prayer is not that we would represent Saul, but that we would represent somebody very different who I believe had a secure foundation, a secure life. Would you like to know how to have that today? Yeah. Well, if you don't, I'm going to tell you anyway. So here we go, right? And it's based upon David's life. Saul's a man who is driven by all these characteristics that nobody wants. We shouldn't anyway. And David walks through this, and what's amazing to me, he doesn't even know what's going on in Saul's mind. But God is continuing to watch over him and to protect him. 
I think that should give you a confidence today if you're a follower of Jesus, that God is with you and he's gonna see you through. David is building a foundation on security and how do we do this? And just three quick things that I'll share with you in the next two and a half hours. So number one is this, walk in God's presence. Would you just say that with me? Walk in God's presence. Walk in God's presence. Saul was afraid of David back in chapter 18. We read this. I had you underline it if you do that. Saul was afraid of David because what? The Lord was with David. But he had departed from Saul. And everything he did, he had great success because what? The Lord was with David. Now here's the reality. I think for many of us as Christians, we think, well, what was the secret to that? David, what was it about you? Did you have the secret prayer that God all of a sudden went, oh, you've said the right words and now I'm gonna show up on the scene and be a part of your life? Or did David just do the right thing? I think sometimes we make it a whole lot more complicated if we go back to the whole thing of why God chose David to begin with. Do you remember why? Because David was a man after God's own heart. I wanna just give an illustration. Can I, can I borrow somebody here today? Just would somebody be willing to volunteer for just a moment? Taylor, thank you. <laughs> did you see this in first service? Sure did. <laughs> you turkey. <laughs> this is going to be fun. So, all right. So, <laughs> so one of us is going to be God this morning. <laughs> Taylor, I'll let you be God for today. Um, so, Taylor's going to be God. And, and here's the problem of what I think a lot of times happens in our life. We view our relationship this way. Taylor, what I'd like you to do is just pick some direction uh, in, in this sanctuary that you want to head to and, and go, and, and I'm going to do my thing after this. So Taylor's God. I'm just Brian Lopez. Taylor starts heading this way, and I'm heading this way with my life. Taylor, if you just want to hold on just a brief moment. Not th- I know you're God, but I'm going to tell you what to do for a minute. So, And this is what I do. That's the direction that God's going, and this is the direction that I'm going. And I say, come here, God. Get over here, God. Come to this side, God. Help me with my marriage over here, God. Help me with my finances over here. Help me with my ministry over here. Help me accomplish in life what I want to over here. And I treat God not as G-O-D, but like a D-O-G. And I'm like, come here. Come here, boy. And do what I want you to do. And that's not what David did. But for many of us, that's how we treat God. And I'm, I'm just gonna say something in all honesty, and it's not meaning to offend anybody, but if that's your idea of God, you are gonna be sorely disappointed as a Christian because God does not work that way. God is God and you are not. So Taylor, if we step back up here for a moment. As Taylor represents God and I represent Brian Lopez, if I really wanna walk in God's presence, this is how it should go. Taylor, you determine where you'd like to go. If God's going this way, guess what? This is the way that I follow him. If God seems to slow down just a little bit, guess what I don't do? I don't do this. I get in line with him. I get around him. I say, God, you're leading my life. If God starts to speed up a little bit, then I speed up a little bit. If God starts to speed up a little bit more, guess what I do? If God starts to really speed up. (laughs) Oh, that's what you get, turkey. Here, I'll leave this for you. Just to let you know, I could have outrun him, but I'm just, it's for the demonstration. It's for the demonstration. But does this make sense what I'm saying right now? And too many times we get to a spot where we think we call the shots and we're going to tell God what he's going to do in our lives. And the problem isn't that God's not doing it. It's because that's not God's plan. And we're out of line. 
God's not out of line. We're out of line. And David was a man after God's own heart. And you want to know what I firmly believe? He said, God, show me what you want me to do. Direct my paths. I'm out of breath right now. So <laughs> I need to go to the gym. The Lord's telling me I need to go back to the gym. So, so I'm just going to ask you this question. No, no. Just going to ask you this question. Yeah, let me relax. <laughs> I'm all pumped up. <laughs> what does it mean to walk with God in your life? How do you do that? And I know we talk about this a lot here, and I'll probably preach this till the day that I die. Spend time with him. Spend time in his word. Taking time, and I'd encourage you on a daily basis to pick up this book and say, Lord, who are you? What do you have to do with my life? How do you want me to live? How, do you, how did you work in the past? Because how God worked back then is a lot how God's gonna work today. Reveal yourself to me. You wanna be successful in life? Not successful financially or anything along those lines, but it may be, but just successful. God told Joshua, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, Joshua 1, 8, 9. But meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Psalm 1 I'd encourage you, read over that. It talks about embedding ourselves in the word of God day and night, looking it over so that we may be a, a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and everything he does prospers. And the point is, if we align ourselves with God and his truth, we are walking with him. We're walking in his presence. How about prayer? How much time do we spend praying? And I'm not talking about this prayer. God, fix this, do this, tell me. I'm talking about the prayer that we realize that we have the opportunity that we're coming into the presence of the king and the creator of all of humanity and all the worlds, that he holds this, measures the universe with the expanse of his hand. That's the size God that we're talking about. And if we can get that into our minds, we probably change our terminology to, God, why don't you do this to, holy smokes, what do you want to do in my life today, Lord? You are an awesome creator and you've got it all figured out. Tell me what you want me to do. And I wanna be a listening servant I want to follow you for the rest of my days. You want to build a secure life? Build it by walking in the presence of God and see what happens. Making that a priority for your life. Spending it in church, making God the centerpiece of your marriage, of every detail, and watch what begins to unfold in your life. The second thing is this. Lean on God's people. Would you say that with me? Lean on God's people. In chapter 19, and we're going to fly through this in just a moment, but chapter 19 is so much of this is leaning on God's people. Remember what's happening. David is now being hunted and pursued by Saul, and it just gets worse. Look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 19. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. Now he's not trying to manipulate the situation anymore. He's giving the command, go out and kill this guy. He tells his son that and some key people. But Jonathan was very fond of David. As we talked last week, they had a great relationship. And he warned him, my father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and I will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine, the giant. The Lord won a great victory for all of Israel, and you saw it and you were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for absolutely no reason? And look what happened. Saul listened to Jonathan and took an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. 
David has an advocate and a man by the name of Jonathan who's his close friend, and he leans on him in this difficult season. The next person we see comes on the scene in just the next verses. So Jonathan called David, and he told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. It seems like everything's going well, but once more, war broke out in verse 8, and David went and fought the Philistine, Philistines. He struck them down with such force that they fled before him, which what do you think that did for Saul now? Sure enough. But an evil spirit of the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in hand while David again was playing the harp. Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. That's the third time. David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall, and that night David knew, I gotta go. Saul sent men to David's house to watch it, to kill him in the morning. Why didn't Saul just charge into the house? Because remember, who is David married to? His daughter. Saul's daughter is married to David. That'd be a weird scene, right? So we'll just wait. But Michael, David's wife, warned him, if you don't run for your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Michael let David down through a window and he fled and he escaped. The second moment where David leaned in on somebody. He needed somebody in his life to help him, to give him some direction, and he listened. The next verse is there, Michael comes up with a great plan. She has an idol. Why she has an idol, it seems pretty odd that she would have an idol. Maybe she learned that from her father, Saul. But she found, finds this idol, and she stuffs it in bed and puts goat hair on it. And when Saul's men come to take him to, to get David, she's like, hey, he's sick. He's ill. He's lying in bed. And so Saul finally sends the men back and says, I don't care if he's in his bed. Grab the bed and bring the whole thing. And they walk in, and they realize they've been tricked to give David time to get away. Saul's furious with his daughter about it. But Michael loved David. And then in verse 18, it says, when David had fled and made his escape, he now goes to Samuel at Ramah, and he told him all that Saul had done to him. The third person in David's life, the spiritual leader of the land, the prophet, he goes to Samuel looking for counsel and a friend, somebody that he can pour his life out into. And I want to encourage you, if you want to have a firm foundation Lean on God's people. Lean on godly people. I think one of the things that I'm concerned about is I think we find people around us sometimes, I'm sure none of you are ever guilty of this, but we find people who we know will not tell us the truth or who will just agree with us because we're good friends with them. And those are the people that we seek out for advice because we know it's not gonna be a hard conversation. Instead of looking at those who, is this person gonna try and give me godly advice? You've probably heard the saying, true friends stab you in the front, right? And it's true. They'll tell you the truth, not behind your back, right to your face because they care about you and they love you. David had some people like that in his life. It was interesting, my wife and I had a conversation with a couple that uh, we don't get to spend a ton of time with them, but they are lovers of God, followers of Jesus Christ. And as we were spending some time with them a week or two ago, they began to share some decisions that they were making in their life. And they just said, hey, we're just going to throw this out at you guys and maybe give us some thoughts. And so for about 45 minutes to an hour, we just got the opportunity to dialogue with them about thinking something through and just really coming to a godly decision and a godly conclusion. And at the end of it, it was really interesting. We sat there and, and they said, thank you for that. Thank you for, for just listening to us. And we think we've come to a decision. And you know the cool thing? I mean, they were really asking for godly decision from my wife, not from me. I don't offer anything good. But uh, they're listening, and, and they said, we just feel like God has spoken through the, through the course of this. And we didn't tell them anything what to do. 
And you know what I loved about that? Do you know when they asked the question? Before they made the decision. Because for too many of us, what we do is we get ourselves into a total mess. And we go, how did I get here? Now, how do I get out of it? But maybe the best thing to do is just to step back for a moment and ask God before we make the big leap, is this the best decision for me to be making? And finding people around you that will be honest and loving and you know our God-fearing people. That's the goal of our small groups around here at our church is that you would find yourself in a group of people that you know are pursuing God. They don't do things perfectly, but that you could go to them and that we would build authenticity and transparency to be able to say, hey, this is what I see in your life and I wanna just try and steer you in a godly direction over some things that maybe you don't know. Do you have people like that that you can lean on to say, this is somebody that could give me some godly counsel and advice so that I can have a secure footing in my life. The last thing, and we'll close with this, is to trust in God's power. Would you say that with me? Trust God's power. To trust in God's power. David is on the run. He's fleeing from Saul. Saul's after him. He wants to kill him. Michael has led him through the, through the window, and he's on his way. He meets with Samuel, and Saul finds out about it. And so what he does, and you can read this on your own, he sends a, an attachment to go and get him. He says, hey, I want you to bring back David for me. And these guys go, and as they're there, they start prophesying. They start praising God or maybe even telling the future a, a little bit. That might have been the prophetic words that they were sharing. But these guys start prophesying, and they cannot capture David. Saul sends another group out there, and, and those guys go, and they can't capture him either because the Spirit of the Lord comes upon those guys, and they begin prophesying. So here's what happens. Saul says to himself, these guys can't figure it out. I'll go, and I'll get David on my own. And this is what it says in verse 22 through 24. Finally... He himself left for Ramah, and he went to the great cistern at Seku, and he asked, where are Samuel and David? They shared where he were in Naoth at Ramah. So Saul went there, but the Spirit of God came even on him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence, just like the rest of the guys had. He ended up laying naked all that day and all that night. And that is why people say, is Saul even among the prophets? You might ask yourself, scratching your head, why on earth is this dude lying there naked? Can I tell you what I firmly believe? This is my humble but accurate opinion. No, it is my humble opinion here. I think God is trying to give Saul an opportunity to realize how ridiculous and crazy he's acting and to expose that to everybody else to say, wake up. You're acting like a fool trying to kill this guy. Saul doesn't get it. And I wonder how many of us in our insecurity have gone down roads where we've been embarrassed publicly because we're out of control in our anger or out of control in our fear. We're out of control in our jealousy or our paranoia is running wild and God's trying to give us, pump the brakes a little bit and say, hey, this has got to get fixed before it turns into something even crazier. But here's the truth. Did Saul ever get to David? Not even close. Was David totally protected? Absolutely. And did David have to even do anything? No. The power of God was plenty enough to protect David from Saul. He says, oh, I'll just put on the brakes right now. Can I just share this? Maybe as a hopefully a word of encouragement that maybe you're in a situation right now in your life that you just need to trust in God's power. It's not about manipulating a circumstance. It's not about you fabricating something. It's not even about you being in control. 
How many of you are married to somebody who's a control freak? Please don't raise your hand or stare at them. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Trying to help your marriage here. And for some of us, I'm going to be really candid. Maybe God is bringing you to a place to say, you need to trust in him and him alone. That it's beyond what you are capable of handling and capable of doing. And he's saying, trust in his power. Do you believe in the God who said, let there be light, and there was light? That he said, hey, I'm going to create the earth. I'm going to have that thing spinning next to a burning ball 93 million miles away that's going to produce the amount of sunlight that is needed, the amount of energy that is needed for the earth to do its thing, for humanity to survive there. Do you believe in a God who's capable of managing all that stuff? And then can I say this? Do you think that he's capable of figuring out stuff in your life and protecting you? Do you think that you can trust him with your life? I hope so, because that's the God of the Bible. I'm just wondering if maybe some of you financially are in a spot where God's doing something where he's saying, I need you to trust me now. Relationally, to trust him now. Maybe it's in your own personal life of saying, you know, I'm not gonna be so concerned about what everybody else thinks. God, I'm only concerned about what you think in my life. I have no idea what it may be for you. But are you in that spot today to say, I'm gonna build my life on a confidence and secure that the power of God is capable of seeing me through anything that I may face, and I trust him in that. Because here's the portion of the story that we won't be able to get to. You can read this later. We're not gonna cover every detail of David's life over the next three and a half years here at the call. As we, no, we won't go through them that long. But David is on the, the run, and up to this point, he's had it all, right? He's killed the Philistine. Everybody praises him. Oh, man, that's a guy of great faith. All the soldiers are like, this guy is awesome. We love him. We'll follow him into battle. Look at the success that the Lord's given to him. His best friend is the king's son. His wife is the daughter of the king. He's got wealth. He's got riches. He's got fame. He's got popularity. He's got it all until all of this starts happening, right? And Saul is after his life. And where does it lead him? David runs and flees. He can no longer be around Jonathan because Saul will be watching Jonathan. He can no longer be around his wife because Saul will be watching Michael, his daughter. He's no longer got the popularity because he's not in the presence of all of these guys. He's supposed to be the king of all of Israel, the next one in line, but he's way out in the, he can't go home to his family because Saul's got watchdogs everywhere. And so what does David do? He runs and he flees for his life. And ultimately where he finds himself after losing just about everything is in a place called Gath. And if you remember the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17, when it describes Goliath, it says, Goliath was a giant from Gath. David finds himself going to the enemy and trying to find refuge there. And the king of that place goes, hey, I've seen you before. You're the giant killer. And David, in fear, you know what he does? He pretends to be a madman, insane. He scratches the doors and the posts and lets spit run down his beard. And the king goes, I've got plenty of madman. Get this guy out of here. David's lost everything, including his own dignity. Because I believe God is going to strip him down of everything that he's going to try and find security in and help him to understand that security is only found in a relationship with the king of all kings and that he can build his trust on him and God alone and walking in his presence alone. And I wonder if that's what God is maybe doing in some of your lives today, that he's trying to draw you close into a relationship with him, that that is where you will find your firm foundation. Because I believe wholeheartedly that sometimes the battle God wants to win in your life is not the battle in front of you. It's the battle in you. 
not the battle of your finances in front of you. It's the battle going on internally. It's not the battle of your marriage or your kids or your job or your future or your security. Something going on in you that to say, God, I just need you. I want to build a foundation on you. And maybe the truth of the matter is you're here today and that's the stepping stone. Building a relationship with God and making him the firm foundation of it all. So I just want to encourage you, maybe this morning, to evaluate. Does my life look a little bit more like Saul's? Or does it look a little bit more like David's? And what are the steps? Maybe it's today developing a, a trust in the Lord that you've you got to let some things go. It's out of your control, and you just have to say, God, I can't take this anymore. I'm going to put it in your hands. I surrender. You're the Lord. You call the shots. Maybe it's finding some quality people in your life that you can invest in, God-honoring people that can be honest with you. Maybe for you today, it's about walking with the Lord and making sure that he's the priority, not to get him on your team, but that you would follow him for the rest of your days. And maybe, maybe you're here right now and you're saying to yourself, I don't even know what it means to walk with God because you don't have a relationship with God. And I want to just share with you as simply as I know how and as the Bible clearly communicates, God loves each and every one of you in this room. As a matter of fact, the Bible talks about him knitting you together in your mother's womb. You are no accident today. But the truth of the matter is each one of us is separated from a relationship with God because of what the Bible calls sin. If you've stolen a pack of gum or a car, if you lied, whatever the commandments are that you've broken and the truth of the matter is every single one of us has broken them. Every one. So God, knowing that we couldn't get to where he is and perfect our lives sent his son Jesus Christ to die in your place. He lived the perfect life and made the sacrifice for you and me and that by putting our faith and believing that Jesus died for me, that he rose again on the third day to conquer death, that I have forgiveness of sin and I can claim that I'm a child of his forevermore. And maybe that's the step for you today to start building a secure foundation. If that's you, in a moment, I'm gonna say a prayer that you can begin that journey it's the starting point of what it means to walk securely in a relationship with a God who loves you more than you will ever know. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? God, in an amazing way that only you can do, you know every person in here. You know our thoughts, you know our anxieties, our worries, you know the concerns for some of us of the approval of people perfectionism that we can never achieve. God, the places that we find our security when it should be in you. Lord, you know it all. And I pray that in a moment right now, in a way that only you can, that you would speak truth to each one of us. That for some here, that maybe this is a time that you are stepping us up in our trust in you to just be able to rely on your power in our lives. I pray that we would give you permission to do whatever it is that you want to do. God, for others of us that maybe this is a season of finding and developing some godly relationships that we would know who those are, that we would invest well, and that we would seek people not just because they're going to tell us what we want to hear, but because they're people who honor you and love you. Father, that for every single one of us that we wouldn't demand that you get on our team or our side, 
that we would seek to make you the Lord of our lives, that we would surrender and that we would follow you, even when it seems crazy sometimes, that security is found in you, that just as you gave that confidence to David, that you would fill us with that type of confidence that we are walking with you each and every day. So Lord, all those attributes of Saul, I pray that those would not be things that are descriptive of us in our lives, and that if it is, that maybe today would be a day of surrendering that all over to you, of of giving up insecurity and jealousy and fear and anger and paranoia and maybe even just some craziness in our lives and just to cling to you. And maybe you're here right now and truthfully, you'd have to just say, you're not confident that you even have a relationship with God, let alone the ability to walk with him. But for whatever reason, you just sense that God is speaking to you right now and saying today is a day to make a choice and a decision. And if that's you right now, I would encourage you, maybe you could say a prayer like this in your heart that this would be the beginning of that wonderful relationship that will drastically revolutionize and change your life forever. So maybe repeating something like this in your heart, God, I need you. I'm insecure and I'm sinful and I've been heading my own direction and right now, I want a relationship with you today. Jesus, I believe you came and you died for me and for my sin, and I confess that to you right now. But I want you to be a part of my life. I hope that you would change me from the inside out. Thank you that you are trustworthy and help me to build a life of confidence and security upon you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray.